Welcome to the Precision Unloaded Podcast, Episode 3. Uh, with me today, is, as always, is Graham and myself, Mark. Um, this week we're going to cover off a review of what's been happening in terms of uh, shooting events lately and uh, an upcoming one next tomorrow, in fact. Also, um, always looking for sponsors. I could say we're being sponsored by uh, Bushmaster and Tapco, but they don't exist anymore, so... <coughs> I suggested maybe Shrubmaster and Crapco, which are made-up companies. But anyway, always looking for sponsors. How are you, Graham? Not bad, mate. It's good to be uh, back behind the microphone after a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll kick things off a bit. Um, so what have you been up to lately? Uh, well, <coughs> once the, the shoot was out of the way, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute, just sort of getting back into the flow of uh, working on a few different guns and reloading for a few things and few new toys um coming in and sort of getting them set up and yeah so i've been playing with the 22 to 50 quite a lot lately over the last month so run us through how that's been going uh well i when i started loading for it i made a little mistake i i thought i'd go with the 53 grain vmax projectile when i was having stability issues so i went back through the reloading manual and there's a nice big uh, bullet point at the bottom saying if you have a 1 in 14 twist, it will not stabilise the 53 grain VMAX. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what would it stabilise? A 50 grain. Really? Yeah. The, the 53 is a little bit long for the 1 in 14. So I got the 50 grainers and uh, it was instantly better. Instantly. Like it's shooting fantastically actually. So Luddite question, why is it 1 in 14? That's what it come with. I bought it years ago, a heavy barreled um, Hower. Yeah. Um, and I've done nothing with it. Oh, maybe five six years and so i've just decided to sort of put it together for shooting magpies and goats and um so you've had a, a laser sitting in the cupboard for years then long time yeah, yeah. Long, long time. and finally getting around to yeah and doing it so, so i got all the dies and yeah. um and and doing all that so it's cool i'm just sort of playing around with a few different loads yeah so i've sort of dialed it back down a little bit to 3800 feet per second it was over 4000 that was just a little bit a little bit spicy what i needed so if I brought a 22 to 50 now, what would the twist rate be on it normally? Most of them are like um, 1 in 14 or 1 in 12. Really? Yeah. Um, it, was, it was always, I think the intention was, it's a, um, a varmintin calibre yeah. for shooting sort of small game. Um, I believe only one I know of factory is Bagara or 1 in 9 twist now. Yeah. So what is the, the faster twist rate? What's the downside of that? Is it obviously, does it shred projectiles? No. Yeah, well, so yeah, with the with the slower twist, um, it's you're limiting yourself to the small projectiles. Yeah. yeah. So if you go to like one and nine or faster, you can stabilize a probably like a seventy five or maybe an eighty grain projectile. Yeah, I realised that, but why wouldn't they just go with a faster twist? <clears throat> um, I guess because if to me how I sorry how I see it is get a two four three. I guess would be they already sell. Very similar size-ish, yeah. Similar uh, performance, so I imagine it was just the intention of the cartridge design. It was small bullets going really fast for um, blowing up small game. Okay, so a slow twist rate helps that. Uh, if you want, yeah. If you want the bigger bullets, but so, so for me, I want the little bullets. Yeah. Okay. Because you can overstabilize if, if you went for a faster twist rate, you could overstabilize the bullets, and they'll. Spin a bit fast and they'll blow up. That's what I was getting at. Does, does, it, does it wreck them, basically? It can do, yeah. yeah. I've okay. never had it, but um, but I've never sort of tried to push the wrong projectile out of it. Yeah. I guess the other thing is when a 
a rifle cartridge is certified it has certain specifications mm. and they're generally adhered to I think the twist rate is one of them isn't it so. yeah and the whole uh, the fast twist rate thing has uh, become real popular um, sort of in the last decade rather than you know everyone wants a sort of longer sleek a high BC bullet now okay. um, to get that long range performance right so what's the barrel length oh, I think it's 26 inch okay yeah so I put it in a Boyd's um, Barnet stock um, like a laminate one uh, it's quite nice it's quite it's very heavy gun actually um, but yeah I, I've only shot I've shot a couple of birds with it I haven't shot any um, goats or anything yet but I'm looking forward to seeing what it does to them um, <coughs> terminally um, yeah other than that uh, playing the 22s a lot for the upcoming 22 match this weekend um, just testing I've swapped my ammo again um, which is always a good idea but I've validated it out to 300 metres so we'll talk about that a little bit later. Mm. So in, in more depth, I want to quiz you because I've been to many matches that are not 22 ones. So it's my first 22 match that I'm going to. Mm-hmm. So it'll be good to get some secrets of high performance. Yeah. So, so what have you, what have you been doing for the last few weeks, mate? What are you shot and what are you bought? And... Uh, well, what I've been getting set up basically I've been hunting down a few more pigs. Uh, with the night vision gear, but uh, it's been a bit quiet lately. Weather's been a bit rough, so uh, basically been getting my 22 ready for this week. So I got a Ruger Precision Rimfire, which I bought second hand. Um, I would say that I've changed the stock and the forend and the trigger and the bolt and <clears throat> the rail because I didn't like them. But that would be the entire gun. <clears throat> so no, I haven't. I'm actually pretty happy with it, just as it came from the factory graph. So. Yeah, it shoots good. It's um, it's a nice little setup. So just been mucking around getting the bipod setup sorted. I had a Caldwell one, which was an M-lock yeah. bipod system, and it was just a wee bit. But a piece of junk, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Considering it had the word carbon fibre in the title. Yeah. They're not cheap either, are they? <laughs> no, they're you automatically assume yeah. that it would be a great piece of kit, but it's just got too much. You can't tighten the ball set up underneath it properly. Yeah. Yeah. So you end up, it's just never <clears throat> very stable. Yeah, which is the opposite of what you want from a bipod, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I've had some, I've got some pick rail M lock slots that I've, uh, you know, rails that I've chucked underneath it, so now I can put. Basically, the um, atlas underneath it, so that's fine. Yeah. Um, so I had uh, the scope I had on it was a ZX5, um, the German ones, what are they? Forget the names now. It was like a 3 to 15 <coughs> with a very fine rectical, I think, a 56mm objective, but it had only just holdovers for a you know, basically set up for a 270 or 306 type of BDC thing, so it wasn't really ideal, and it didn't. It had cap, uh, cap turrets, so <coughs> so I've removed that. I managed to pick up a, a Sig Tango four, four to sixteen by forty odd scope, forty four I think, um, which has got zero stop dials, uh, illuminated, good. Uh, Reticle, I think it's first focal plane. Mm-hmm. So, mill. Yeah. Cool. So it is um, pretty much seems quite ideal for it at this stage. I think I've been really liking shooting it. It's very clear glass. Um, 
picked it up for $1,500. Um, it's obviously the, uh, what would they call it, the boss of marketing person, tungsten coloured scope, so which some people didn't like when the SIGs came out with those whiskey and tango scopes initially, they were all of that, what else would I call it, meteor grey <coughs> rather than black, so... It looks good. I like the colour. No, no, it's a bit You should paint the whole gun. Yeah, that's different. So, <laughs> so <coughs> as with uh, my tendency not to tinker with it, I won't be painting it, Graham. Oh, okay. The same colour as this, the scope. Yeah. But no, that's all good. DPT suppressor on it. And uh, no, I've been testing that out and happy with it. So we'll see how we go. Yeah, well, tomorrow will be the test, won't it? Yeah. So yeah. we're off tomorrow morning. Yep. to try that out but trying different ammo that's something we'll talk about in depth a bit more later on yeah also I guess what we have been do <coughs> doing a bit lately is uh, just getting into it is tripod shooting so for a sort of heavy duty carbon fibre tripod using an Arca Swiss attachment uh, system which is a if you wonder what that is it's a camera system that's sort of transitioned over to firearms now right. um, so in layman's terms what you're saying is a very large tripod that holds the entire rifle yes and it will hold it in place wherever you put it yeah yeah and so you can lock it in so we went out uh went up marks for a shoot just shoot some 22s and stuff last weekend and i, I took it up and i sort of there's some goats at about oh, 300 something yards away and i so i dealt to them on the cliff being goats they sort of give you plenty of opportunity to set up and um get ready and um because they they're not overly fussed by you when you're that far away so i dealt to them piece of piss um with the 308 and shot some more on the way out and then <laughs> we thought we uh seen some goats so we stopped and it turns out they were sheep and then all of a sudden a, about a 80 90 pound boar walks out in front of us at about what, 50 meters this is what i like about this podcast graham because we talk about practical actual use of things <laughs> Well, this, was, this was a classic. Yeah, this will, is where will, this will is where the, it come undone. Will, will the massive bipod be helpful in this situation? Yeah. Where you have to fast. So the problem was here. I so I left the the rifle because you can sort of fold the tripod underneath the rifle. And I thought I'll keep it on there in case there's some more goats, and I'll be able to deploy it and shoot the goats. Um, so this pig walked out in front of us on the hillside, totally unaware of us. Somehow we were driving our vehicles, and so I was trying to deploy the legs, and he was sort of moving off and. And then I was trying to get the, I was like, bugger it, I'll get rid of the tripod. And I was trying to detach it from the rifle. And it was all just a bit much all at once. And finally got that off. And it took about, you know, five, ten seconds. And all the while, this seemed like an eternity. As yeah, this, this, this nice little wild boar is slowly <laughs> walking away. You can see him deciding whether he's going to run. Yeah, and then. And bits of tripod flying everywhere. And then I finally get it off. I aim at him. Can't see him because I'm on high magnification, breaking my own rules. My parallax is set for like 400 metres. So I quickly adjust them and then I aim at them, pull the trigger. Didn't have one in it because I've never chambered around. So then I chamber around. Just shoot him before he goes into the shrub. Not particularly well. He, we, we, we could tell he was hit because he didn't move particularly fast. So we climbed up the hill after him into the bush and I, I, uh, I seen him moving off. So I shot him again. And then we spent about an hour in the bush trying to find him. We could smell him. He was a stinky bugger. There was a bit of blood around. We just couldn't for the life of us find him. So we had to get the pig hunters in and they found him a couple hours later. Just on darkness too, so we yeah. were yes, running yeah. out of light. So, but they, yeah. they brought their dogs along and found him straight away. So that was good. Pretty close to where we'd um, put the second shot into him. Um, 
So, for, <laughs> let's go on with that. So for the goats, for the the unassuming game, the one where you got a bit of time. Yes, it was it was ideal. Now for that quick reactionary stuff, it was a freaking nightmare. What would have been better would have been um, your shooting sticks, Mark. The yeah. uh, the three pronged ones that the Jim Shockey trigger stick. Yeah, yeah that, that thing's that thing's ultimate. Well, t- <clears throat> to be honest, there was no need for any aid. There it was fifty meters. No, no, he just, wasn't a small target. You were out. Pick your gun up and shoot him, basically. So. Yeah. So, moral of the story is, I should have had a second gun. Or I should have been more better prepared with the first one. Albeit we didn't expect to see a boar at this time of day. It was we were just um, driving out. But anyway, it's sort of no. But that's the thing with a complex bit of kit like that. If yeah. You've got the time, and you know you might see something just offhand. You should really disassemble, or, you know, disconnect it or whatever. Because yeah. Ultimately, when you're using it, the setup time is irrelevant because of the way you're going to be using it is when you've got time and you're waiting, basically. So Yeah. Which is sort of <clears throat> hunting as I get older, I like to do a bit more of is just sitting and waiting. Yeah. Know, the old Indian proverb, proverb. Yeah. White man walk fast, see nothing. So yeah. um, those sort of setups are great if you're uh, you know, in a stationary position. Yeah, so. if you were watching an area, especially at distance. Yeah. But this is what happened. Didn't expect him. He was close. I could have bloody near shot him with a bow and arrow, so... Yeah, I, and I had I broke my own rules. I wasn't my scope was zoomed in, my parallax out. I should have had it all zoomed back, ready to go, um, like I've talked about before. But it happened. Uh, try and learn from it, and um, look, it's not as if we didn't get the pig. No, but it was. Yeah. So are, the, are these tripods? I know I've seen them before, but are there more of them around? Are people using them, or is there a... uh, the South Island? You'll see more of them it's in the competition sort of thing down there. The comp, um, <clears throat> a bunch of the. Uh, the Alpine shooting matches, which are over sort of um, Reefton Way, I believe they use them a bit in that, and then the Mountain Challenge uses them a little bit, I think. Um, here in the North Island competition scene, very limited. So like MLOC and QD and things like that, that there's a proprietary connector system, isn't there? That yeah, well, so it's, it's, it's Arca Swiss. Arca Swiss. Which is camera. Right. Oh, okay. It's just it's essentially just a big dovetail, <coughs> and... Um, and that bolts under your yeah. Rifle in fact, most modern chassis now, in the last year or so, actually come with the Arca grooves cut into it. Mm. So your MDT, ACC, and those they yeah. have it there because it's very little for them to actually machine in, and because um, all those rifles are driven by the Precision Rifle Series in the states now, yeah, um, they all want that option. Um, and it's cool. So bipods are coming out that'll attach to it now. Um, you'll get all sorts of accessories you can clip on there. And then, of course, the tripod use. I mean, thinking about it, obviously a lot of scopes now are a lot higher magnification from the start. So, you know, you're 5 to 25s and that sort of thing. So it actually means the rifle can do double duty as a spotting scope, can't it? Is that part of it? Well, yeah, you could keep it set up in the same area, the same way you would a um, yeah. an optic, a larger optic. Uh, again, your field of view isn't going to be nearly as good. But, no. But, yeah, there's no reason you couldn't. Um, I know this... And again, in America, they do things a lot different for us, but hunting sort of open country for like elk and the like, a lot of them are shooting with tripods. Yeah. Um, this is very similar to this carbon fibre, lightweight as, as you can get, and um, they'll be shooting them off tripods. Um, uh, militaries are using them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they're this, whether they become a normal tool here, I don't know. No, that's why the trigger stick tripod I've got is 
become so valuable because I do all my thermal scanning, you're looking around the countryside using it. And you never, you know, not holding the rifle up or anything. You don't get tired. Yeah. And it basically means I don't need my handheld thermal anymore when I'm scanning around. Considering the scope is four times the quality of thermal sensor than my original handheld. So When I first seen that, I thought this is a bit of a weird thing, but you've shown it's just a uh, invaluable yeah. tool. Even for, um, you know, pest control in summer when the grass is long, you can't go prone in a lot of areas. No, that was the original approach, and I brought it with the yeah. infrared night vision scopes. I think I've said this before. If you've got anything in front of you close, it reflects back and you can't see anything. Mm. So the, the infrared... So you need to get above any vegetation. So that's yeah. why... I went to the tripod and then sort of haven't I've not stopped using it basically yeah. so. and I mean for, for hunting at night too you're only shooting to a couple hundred metres max so yeah. um, the stability on the tripod is perfectly adequate for most of it isn't it so you're taking the tripod to the 22 shoot I am you are I, no because so he's so Simon has uh, three classes there's hunter there's he's renowned there's practical which is so hunter's normal hunting ones this is the Tokoro 22 shoot to- yeah, sorry Tokoro 22 shoot practical match and then the practical class you're allowed a bipod sling and a small rear bag no larger than a grapefruit <laughs> which which I've googled and is six inches believe it or not um, I thought we were going to buy some grapefruit so. we, we plan to yeah. we've got to get onto that real quick uh, <laughs> I'll message my wife and um, but then the open class is allowing all your PRS style gaming gear so the, the, the things created to game the stages you know aids to make it easier so tripods yeah um, game changer bags pump pillows yeah remember that because i got one um which are like super big pillows that you tuck under your arms so he's allowing that and my autonomous tracked robotic vehicle with a gun mounted on it yeah yeah you okay. can take that that's good um you saw side but you said the i think the idea is to yeah split the classes so the guys who run a more traditional basic setup they shoot the practical class and then the, the guys who want to run the most modern uh, aids and that in the, in the open. I'm shooting the open. I was going to shoot the practical. And then Simon told me, no, you can use the tripod in the uh, open class. And I'm testing a tripod at the moment. So I thought, well, what better way to <clears throat> see if there's any practical use in the competition that is um, than compete with it. So It's a never-ending thing, isn't it? Where do these classes start and stop and how do you bounce it up? Because so, if you have... The continuous evolving of the latest and greatest, or, or what you know, mm. aids to help stability, tripods, whatever they may be. Suddenly, someone turns up with a new thing, and then you think, "Well, next shoot, we can't allow that, or whatever." So this allows you to give your class to pretty much use whatever you like. Yeah, you can only give New Zealand's too small to have a massive amount of classes. No, um, but I think it'll be fun. Whether it carries on, we'll see. Um, but I'm looking forward to. Uh, to be honest, I doubt Simon's going to give me a lot of time to set a tripod up, and I guarantee in the stage description it'll say tripod has to be fully collapsed before the stage starts. Like so, it probably won't be practical to to set up a tripod and then shoot a stage where I could have just shot it sitting. Like he he won't be making it easy on us. Um, yeah, so something like a trigger stick would be the only practical one then, because they, they deploy. Yes, straight away. Yes, yeah. The trigger stick would be. be I should take both. There's a lot of stuff to carry. Um, but yeah, it'll be fun. We'll see whether I even get to an actual chance to use it. Um, I've got a few different bags. I've uh, got a new, a few things there. So, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
And I also got a new sling for the 22 as well, just to um, try and... Every comp I go to, I always think, God, I forgot to put a sling on this rifle. So I've got a QD sling. I've just bludged some parts off you so I can attach it. And um, so hopefully that'll give me some <coughs> assistance in the uh, sort of non-supported non um, sitting and standing, using that sling to, to sort of lock your body together and hopefully have something. Yeah. All right. Back to the... Uh Competition a review of that from uh, when was that two weeks ago now? Yeah, um, week and a half, two weeks. Oh, it went pretty well, I thought. The uh, TD Winter Shoot or whatever we come up with the name for it. It was sort of a good event for people to get out after lockdown and actually um, have a bit of fun, catch up some mates and uh, and compete. Uh, we managed to avoid nearly all the bad weather, which was uh, sort of unheard of for an event in late June, but. Um, I think we had one shower during the last stage of the day, and and that was pretty much it. So it wasn't wasn't overly muddy. It was just a bit cold and a little bit of wind. Um, yeah, it sort of went off pretty well. Yeah, yeah the weather held off. Yeah, which enabled the stages to be used well because they were set up on little hills, which um, with a bit more foliage and trees around, so it was quite made it more challenging, didn't it? Yeah, I think it seemed reasonably popular. The um, using the the scrub and the trees um, to as sort of natural barricades, and we had a few man-made things sort of sprinkled through. But um, if we could, if there's any chance that we could take advantage of like a tree or you know some roots or something, we did, and it, um, it proved challenging. And um, it's, yeah, it seemed pretty popular. Um, the only sort of complaint I had in the day was the trying to find the correct target um, being a really <coughs> large amount of targets out there so eventually I'm working on a few ways to get around that um, I'm going to potentially going to colour code targets with different coloured fluoro paints so I've got some different colours to test out and see how they look But so we might work on that but yeah then at least someone in the squad's going to have, have <coughs> be able to see different colours so that would work yeah so um, the idea is like stage stage one will have pink stage two will be blue then orange and yellow and then it'll go pink again. It was pretty dense in terms of targets out there, though, from compared to most of our shoots. Yeah. They were a lot more confined to one area than we probably have had in the past. Yeah. So. Yes, I think we, there needs to be something done there. So, I mean, the, the pink's not going to tell you, like, that's my exact target, but you're going to go, oh, yeah, there's only a quarter of them are yellow. So straight away you've got less targets to look for and you can identify it with the number. Yeah. So yeah. we are working on that. Um no incidents. We had a guy get his car stuck on the way out. Um, but other than that, it was sort of helped out by some other competitors. Um, and that was nothing to do with the track. It was just them sort of driving on the edge because their car was overly low. A um, lowered BMW. <laughs> really nice BMW. Which that was doesn't uh, help <coughs> on a metal farm track. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> from some guys who really should know better. But I won't say any more about that. Um, but yeah, no, the shooting was good. Some of the boys did quite well. Um, Simon did well. Um, Taranga boys did well. In fact, Taranga took out um, first and Hunter and first and I. So who was that? Practical. Sorry? Who won? Um, Johnny won the um, Hunter class with his yep. new 6.5 hunting gun he's put in. And I'm trying to think who won the uh, the open class. It's escaping me at the moment. But yeah, another one of the Taranga boys. Jeff? And not Jeff. Jeff wasn't there. It's a common name. I just thought I'd throw Jeff up there. <laughs> Often Jeff. I know really well. I just can't remember his name. 
Um, Greg, yeah. Greg Denby. Greg. Well, there you go, Greg. Um, he got... So, unfortunately, we had a, a one stage, one of the major targets got <clears throat> um, broken. And so we ended up scrubbing that whole stage. And so everyone lost the points from, call it stage seven, I can't remember. So Simon and Greg were actually tied first equal. And then, but because we had the problem with the stage, that whole stage got scrubbed. And that was a stage Simon done particularly well on. So unfortunately for Simon, he got knocked back to second. Well, he should have hit more targets. <laughs> it's a shame, but uh, that's all right. Um, Can't cry over spilt milk. No. No, 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 that's fine. Hey, hey he was the one who, who picked it up, you know. He, he was the one who pointed it out that we had to scrub that stage. So it's not that there was nothing malicious there. So, um, so Greg did well. Uh, so again, I think them, those two averaged about 65% hits, which is pretty normal um, to be up in the top, which, which shows it was good, it wasn't too easy. Um, you know, if, if they get a hundred percent, it's probably a little bit easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's some good shooting, some good hard positions. The tires, the new addition, we've, we've got those big, um, track tires off you. They, they proved to be quite fun. Um, you know, and then also the last stage of the day, uh, which was a, uh, <coughs> learn your limits combined with a, um, a dash hit. So you sort of, you have, I can't remember what that's. Six or seven targets, biggest being 600 millimeter square, then 500, 400, 300, 200, 150, and then 100. So progressively smaller. So what you do is you take your first shot, hit the biggest, you get up, leave your rifle where it is, run back, touch a marker peg, which is say 15, 20 meters behind you, then run back, shoot again, and, and progressively smaller. If, if you, and you only have to run up your hit, so your target's getting smaller and you'll get more and more out of breath. So that was quite a challenge. Um, that was pretty cool. So you probably see that again. Um, yeah, I, I think it went pretty well. I'd say if we do it again, we'll move it to a less wet month of the year. Maybe sort of, um, Jul- um not July, um, I don't know, April or something. Yeah, we're always taking a punt when we do it at that time of the year. Yeah, but it was sort of just a thing it to get everyone out again. It could be atrocious. So It could have been really bad. But it, it wasn't, so when that's we wrote our luck and that's fine. So Yeah, but I mean, we we had all the, all the, all the um, bullshit that's going on in the world this year. We sort of had it when we had it. But So if we do that one again, it'll be a little bit earlier. And, and it, was a, it was a completely different shoot from the RTD Long Range Challenge. So same venue, but you weren't shooting in the same spot. No. Uh, you shouldn't. It was. It was. It was cool. It was. It wasn't. Wasn't similar, which is what was the goal because we didn't want it to just be a shorter range version of the big shoot we do each year. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Again, the only complaint I had was just the the density of targets. Um, I had one. What was your complaint, Mike? You're a host. I detected there was probably a few people would prefer a bit more vanilla lying on the ground with your bipod type stuff oh yeah but you know i'm not overly concerned about that well <clears throat> i did hear i did hear let's, this, let's be uh, inclusive was this, was this bloody terrible was complaining about you but there yeah there was some about not using your anonymous, bipod. anonymous feedback Graham. you're not going to find out <laughs> but yeah the bipod so stage one was bipod yeah stage two was bipod albeit under that terrible camo net which was a ball bag of a stage it was so hard um so we maybe can make that easier, or maybe we don't. Um, so those are so first, you know, stage one was bipod prone. Yep. Um, stage eight was bipod prone. All being with jogging, and then it was sort of like a little bit of assisted bipod on some obstacles. Yes. 
<clears throat> but I mean, the RTD long range challenge has a lot more bipod. Yeah. But it's longer range too. This was only 630 meters maximum. Most of it inside 500. True. It wasn't even breaking a sweat. Yeah. So, uh, so, nah. Now, why would you want to shooting off your off, getting off the belly and using trees and stuff? That's wicked. Like, right. Yeah. My only other thing was probably condensing more of the hunter people into squads together. Um. It was just the thing with I knew one of the new shooters there because he was the only one in the squad. He just, you know, he may have felt lonely and unsupported. So, so that's generally a thing. That's just the, that's the numbers we get. So, yeah. so if yeah. we could have like two hunters or even a hunter squad, I mean, there's an experienced guy there. It's just about balancing things up and trying yeah. to. Usually, you'd like three, say, squads of five. You'd like three open, two hunter. Yeah, we just didn't have the numbers. Okay, but so, then if the trouble is if you so, put all the hunters in. They'd move at a different speed. <clears throat> oh, we kneecap them and slow them down, wasn't it? <laughs> but there is there is a plus side to it. Is um, for a new shooter, I mean, some of them might be intimidated by some of their experienced guys, but they could actually watch some pre-experienced guys. Yeah, and, and maybe learn something. And generally, the guys um, all get depressed. Yeah, but like you want experienced shooters running a squad because they sort of know yeah. how the flavour of things work. Yeah, and. Yeah, but you know you're right. I'd like more hunter competitors, or you just do it and you go f- always go two day and you have open and then hunter. Um, but yeah, it's just yeah. Okay, it's probably explaining each. Well, in, in the build up, explaining what each class is for would probably encourage a bit more entry in the hunter class too. Yeah, because a lot of guys wouldn't. So have enjoy you, it more. have you got a pretty standard setup? Uh, you, you know, just testing out how well you. This is probably something that you'd enjoy. So that, that's a constant problem as guys see it as sort of like the, um, the not or, the, yeah, just the less competitive <clears throat> class. Oh, you're on the peasant class. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, no offence to peasants. But. <laughs> but I love hunter class events. Yeah. Uh, I do. And, but if, if I end a hunter class event, I'll take a hunting gun. Um, but yeah, definitely, there is people who would um, enjoy themselves more. But, but that's their choice too. We can't tell people unless we come up with some gear restriction thing where yeah. they have to shoot. Um, Probably just go with my suggestion of creating an, an imaginary class below Hunter so that people will feel like they're upper class yeah. already from the start. Yeah. So, you know, agricultural class. The pesc- so you got like open, pest Hunter control, and pest control pest class. Pest control class. <laughs> That's me and you. <laughs> well, you're... Um, <clears throat> Or you just scrap it all together and just have, like on the medium range shoots, maybe just have one class. Um, but I think there is a lot of competitors who want to compete who, who are uncomfortable at 500 metres. So that that 350 is a real good sort of maximum yeah. distance. Um, yeah. yeah. There's always issues with it, running multiple it's classes. It's a conundrum. Yeah, you end up with sort of a, a training wheels division, like the, yeah. the learner slopes on the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, the Happy Valley class. Yeah, yeah. That's right. so I think so. Make so, them so, feel, so, feel worse about themselves. So we great. talked about it earlier. So Simon Gillis, for the, who, who works obviously closely with both of the Arabians, um, his Tarada match. He's splitting it to two days. So Saturday will be the um, yeah the open class, the practical class, whatever you want to call it. So six, seven hundred meters, and then the Sunday will be the hunter class. And I think the idea is being you can sort of have so. 40 or 50 shooters on the Saturday and however many on the on the Sunday um, and to allow more competitors right. so instead of just opening it up straight away and saying you can shoot both days I think it's going to be try follow it up um, 
naturally both classes with different competitors first, but that's a good way of doing it. Because then, like you say, everyone's shooting the same stage description, the same targets. Um, there's going to be less targets out there you have to sort of clutter the range with. Yeah. Um, but then it's a bigger commitment for match organisers. <clears throat> organisers, you know, two days, uh, they're going to be pretty knackered by the end of the Sunday. Oh, my heart bleeds for them. You're one of them. Oh, oh that's right. I'm one of them. Damn it. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Um, well, let's just work as a team, Graham, and do it my way. Yeah. <laughs> so there's potential for, like, the RTD Long Range Challenge to maybe go, whether it goes a two-day match, but we'll see. We've talked about it. Um, but whether that's split to two classes or it's two days of one class sort of thing. Or, well, here we go. you know, you can turn up on that the day before and you can have a one-mile <clears throat> practice challenge. Like they do in South Island. Yeah, well, just because just, there's always that interest in, in going way out and we've got that set up now. Mm. So Yeah, it is. Yeah. <clears throat> so so shoot on the Friday... Have a, say a thousand meter and a one mile challenge, yeah, and we'll make a ridiculously big trophy because Simon Gillis loves big trophies. And At then least um, eight feet high, yes, <laughs> yeah, it's a life size cut out of a <clears throat> goat or something. And then we can make our target our, our trophies our target step, then they double use AR500. Perfect, we'll just wait to put the entry point, it'll weigh about yeah. 300 pounds, but yeah, yeah. anyhow. And then so Saturday, um, yeah, I don't know, we've, we've talked about different ways of making it a a sort of a bigger event. Um, yeah. It, it would be odd like a three-day event, but I'd say two days is the way to start. But like you say, <coughs> if we had the set-up on the Thursday, test shoot on the Friday morning, and you could have a, uh, a bragging rights sort of thing on the Friday afternoon. So yeah. competitors, competitors could take the Friday off and come in the morning, and then, it, to, to be honest, that'd be the easiest part of the weekend because logistically it's simple to set up. Correct. Um, very simple to set up. Um, so... Because that was moving on to my last probably part of that review is that there are some people who would just like a day where you're on a firing line heading steel. So well, sort of well, that's well, that was the start of Taranaki Long Range shooting. Yeah. It was those gong shoots, and we had one last year, um, the sort of first shoot after the uh, the terror attack in Christchurch. So that and that went weird. Heaps of people, didn't we? Like seventy something shooters. True. So yeah. We were in talk whether we do one towards the end of this year. Um, Maybe you could even have one <coughs> sort of several weeks before Tirada as a warm up for yeah, guys. Yeah, correct. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, there you go. Look, Mark's got the farm, so I need to talk to him. So, well, but yeah, we could do it. It's a. It's not. They're not overly hard. It's just the food. It's a nightmare. Well, food. But yeah, there'll probably be one. Um, we'll try to get it in place before those events come out, as a sort of a sort of get your own thing. Um, I have had some requests too, um, from some of the competitors that if we do a gong day that we set up all the tank traps and all that junk that we use yep. on the fire like someone on part of the firing line has those barricades so guys can practice off them because it's fine for me or you we can practice off stuff whenever we want but guys who live urban who can only shoot on a, um, a static uh, deer stalkers range they're not allowed to use that stuff so no it's like trying to train to swim cook straight and only ever swimming in a pool yeah when you get out there you think this is a <clears throat> Not quite what I was ready for. Yeah, so so like I mean, we can we can drag all those barricades. I can yeah, I can rob some stuff. We can even set up the camo net, the Simon's camo net. If people <laughs> no, no, I don't want to go into that on purpose. But um, yeah, <laughs> no, we'll, no, we'll, I don't think that'll be uh, that'll be unused <laughs> the entire day, Graham. Yeah, but I mean, we, yeah, we can look at something. So probably you know, uh, 
I'm just thinking of the month. Um, August, September. So we have an Arteri long range challenge next year? We are, aren't we? Yeah, you know, I think so. With the law changes, we've got a couple of years of grace from what I understand. And there is some stuff in the background we're trying to work with Colfo and Police to hopefully carry on, but I won't go too far into that. So there is hope, but for the next two years or so, anyway, we've we to carry farm. on. To farm, Graham, not a range. To farm, yeah. Um, primary use. Yeah, primary use, yeah. But yeah, so, so yeah, they're all, all going well, unless um, Winston Peters rings me up and tells me, no, there'll be a daily long range challenge next, into next Feb. Yeah, um, after, after haymaking. After haymaking, it's perfect. We've grass nice and short. And then there'll be um, a few events coming in after that too, which will be cool. And there's potential for another set of events happening around uh, Central North Island. Um, so, uh, sorry, um, Waikato, yeah. hopefully, as well. Um, so you never know, we might get a few more coming through there. But that's all a bit hush-hush at the moment. But, but yeah, so, so I think, the, again, we were talking about the event we had two weeks ago, a week ago. But that's right. It did go well, um, and I think we could do it again, those... <clears throat> Those target positions are pretty cool. After all this nitpicking we've just done, it was it did go pretty well, and everyone was pretty happy. So, and a lot of people saying thanks for, you know, the, the where it was and the setup and everything was great. So yeah, the only thing is maybe we're always trying to improve. Things, maybe so. seal the road. <laughs> seal the road. It's like the nicest gravel road ever as well. So the people with the, the lowered M series BMWs can easily get up there. Uh, yeah, they are. I think they're going to bring some one of their work vehicles next time, so they'll be fine. But Good um, idea. Yeah, no, I think yeah, I think there's not much more we can say about that. It went well. Okay. And, I mean, we've got to thank um, Simon and uh, Malcolm and the Gillis, you know, team for helping out, and um, and also Calvin and Scotty. Yeah. They put on all the effort on the Friday, um, and then so so they were sort of pretty worn out by the time they got to shoot on Saturday. But and actually, Scotty ended up with a fourth. Yes. Day too, um, which is pretty awesome. His best result ever. With his 6.5 SLR. Your super light record, what is it? Super long range. Long, super long range, that's the one. That, that gun is a hammer too. That is, um, it is nice. The Target Dynamics boys have done a hell of a job there. So for those, for in layman's terms, I think it is a blowing out and extended 260 Remington. Something like that, yeah. yeah. I don't know a lot about so it. So slightly more... Yeah. Case capacity, something a different neck, and yeah. something. Yeah. I don't, I don't know a lot about it, but I know it works well. Yeah, um, not the thing you'll find on your local factory ammo shelf. No, no, no. no. So all the brass has been sort of made from. Yeah, and so he, he did really well. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, righto. Well, that sort of wraps that up. Um, well, on on to tomorrow, the practical twenty-two match. So I, as we talked about earlier, I am new to this so what sort of rifles do people turn up with in, in general and what sort of setups And you'll see everything from the newer competitors running they're sort of in the Rinko JW15 with a 4 power in the Hunter class uh, right up to Sarko quads and okay um, in the open it, it, again as long as you're 22 shoots okay it's, it's fine to compete with um, CZ and, yes you see a lot of CZs a lot of Ruger 1022s Right, guys will trick them out with reports uh, and parts and kit okay. and stuff. Uh, you see more of the the um, Ruger Precision rimfires. Yeah, um, more of the Tikas. That's more me and Jeff anyway. And I know Stuart. He likes the T one X. Yeah, sorry, the T one X. Yeah, yeah, heaps heaps of CZs, four five twos, four five fives, and you might see a couple of four the new four five sevens. Okay, but yeah, you'll see 
that's mainly what you, you, you get. Um, so what's your prediction on the winning rifle? Me. Brandon manufacturer. You. T1X. Um, I know you hit it here first. <laughs> I will be following this up. Uh, oh, I couldn't tell you. It depends who's there. Um, I think Scotty said a Sarko. He, I think Scotty. Last time? Yeah, he shoot. He won the Hunter class last time. But it's a, it's an older Sarko. Oh yeah. Not familiar with the model number. Um, he's just now he's got himself a ten round mag too. Because he only had a five last time he won. So now he's got a ten out of five. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think he should be moving into the open class. That's Scotty. But right. I, think, I think he will after this one. So give me <clears throat> crucial things not to forget to take for these sort of, you know. Apart from the obvious, I take yeah. a sling. Yeah. A good bipod. Yeah. Um, uh, a nice rear bag. Um, I always made the mistake of running too big a rear bag, but then that should allow me to squeeze it and adjust the rear of the gun. Yeah. Um, warm clothes. Yeah. It's going to be cold. It is covered, but you get a bit of rain blowing in the sides. Um, liquids, keep up your liquids. But yeah, other than that, you don't need a lot. You dope. You know, have either some data cards or a... Um, suppressor on? Yeah, suppressor. If you've got a suppressor on, suppressor if that's what you want to use. Yeah. It's definitely nicer. You know, you can be in certain areas and you almost don't need hearing protection because everyone will be running suppressors. Still wear it, but... Um, All right, so we get down the rabbit hole. So ammunition, it's sort of the thing you'd expect the vast amounts of 22 ammunition that there wouldn't be a lot of variability but from my impressions you've got to basically work out what works in your rifle pretty much it can vary from rifle to, you know what, what what shoots well in your particular gun can vary a bit um, so you know run us a bit through a bit of that what do you what you know yeah so here in New Zealand we get a huge range of 22 ammo like most places and 80% of it's for precision is junk. Right. Like, because most of it's centred around possums and rabbits, right? The agricultural use, um, that sort of thing, where you don't particularly need... Or would notice. Yeah, because you're shooting a possum 10 metres away. Yeah. But for the precision stuff, um, whatever, the, 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 the sort of standard, pun intended, the standard level is CCI standard velocity. Um, Well-priced, accurate enough. So maybe, say 100 metres where 22s don't group particularly well, minute, minute and a half, you'll get, um, if you're really doing your bit. Um, and then from there, I wouldn't, as a rule of thumb, anything that comes in bulk, loose packets, like we pick it up in a handful, out of the, <coughs> then what you're using, you're looking at me funny. <laughs> my bucket of bullets. Yeah, so like that my, sort of, that sort of stuff. Federal yeah, 1080. Your te- federal 1080 tongue-in-cheek sort of thing. Um, uh, La Pua is expensive, but it's good. Yeah. Center X and the Polar Biathlon. Um, I've had a lot of luck with SK. I'm running the SK Pistol Match. That stuff is like, it's pretty good, man. It's got a, um, a, a, a velocity spread of less than 10 feet per second over 10 shots. Like that's that's match grade rifle, Centerfire rifle good. So if I said, get me what they use in the Biathlon at the Winter Games, there's probably La Pua Polar Biathlon. There you go. Sounds <laughs> yeah, like it's similar. Similar. <clears throat> the naming does seem to point yeah. to that direction. But again, it, it depends what you're trying to do. So yeah, in uh, some of the target, you'll be surprised. Some of the other targets are small. They're little and inside 100 meters, they're little tabs and stuff. Yeah, they're not big targets. So right. you do need a certain degree of accuracy. Um, it, the good thing about SK, it's not expensive. Right. I think a brick of 500 is like 70 or 80 dollars, which shooting possums might be, but. But for precision, it's not that bad. Whereas La Pua, 
there's something like thirty dollars for fifty. No, twenty two never looks expensive after you've bought all the other. Yeah, ammo. If you're buying um, Simul Remake, exactly hundred dollars a box, <clears> definitely three hundred PRC. Ouch. Yeah, hundred. Yeah, so it's but the trouble a lot of the time of getting what you need, and I mean sending ammo in the mail is a bit of a pain in the ass. So you really want to be able to get it at your local store. Yeah, true. Um, but if you've got a good local, a lot of the time they'll get in and stock what you need. Um, yeah. Magnus Sports in Stratford is always pretty good because he's super interested in shooting himself, so he stocks the Lapua and the SK. And, um, I'll go in there and he'll be like, oh, try this, you know, this is the new one I've got in in Freddy Ray. So, um, super high velocity, I wouldn't really bother for Precision 22, um, not so a couple hundred metres. Um, whether you're allowed to run it as well at comps, uh, we, we're not at this one. Well, because overall ammo cost is low anyway, there should be no argument around you being able to test as much as you want and work out and practice what works well for you. And it may be a reasonably standard... C- I mean, CCI is generally what I run, mainly because it cycles in 1022s. Yeah. Like, you know, I've had... I just touch wood every few problems with CCI as a semi-auto. So I've been doing a... I bought all this ammo with the intent of publishing an article, and I still haven't finished it because... God, I spent like five dollars on 22 ammo. All those different types. Testing it, velocity, groups, everything. But then I've sort of... I've kept adding into it as I've got more ammo, so it's, the spreadsheet's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <coughs> but I, I, I tested all the, the what I consider junk ammo too, like Remington Thunderbolt. Well, that's not particularly good. It's one sub, one super sort of thing. Um, yeah, cutting open the possums and checking the wound cavities? <laughs> no, I didn't go full terminal. Oh. Oh, no. um, I didn't test it on game. It's just accuracy, precision-based. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I'll, I'll publish it eventually. Excuse me. Um... But uh, there's still a bunch of ammo I want to try, but... Oh, can you pull it in there? Okay. Sweet, sorry about that, we had some technical issues. Um, yeah, so there is a bunch of 22 you can try, um, and not all of it has to be super expensive. Um, but like we said, it's just it's just finding what works for your rifle. Yeah. Buy half a dozen boxes um, and go from there. And, yeah, I think you should be pretty well set. So if you're running a bolt gun, it really doesn't matter changing around. But if you're running a semi, you're suddenly switching around to what you think is better ammo, it may not cycle properly. Yeah, well, there's, you, there's a lot more requirements. You know, the gun has to run it, and yeah. and some ammo will run particularly dirty in a um, in a twenty two. So a ten twenty two. I know. I'd open up my suppressor the other day. And I couldn't. It's like that was firing garbage at the end of the barrel. So much <laughs> stuff in there. It's unbelievable for twenty two. Actually, speaking of... T- you've got a 1022, don't you? Two, yeah. I think I might be getting sent a really nice barrel at some point. Oh, yeah. But I don't have one. I wonder if I've got a... Well, I've got a takedown one. Probably... Is the other one not a takedown? Uh, yeah, yeah it's not a takedown. But it's, just, a, it's very old. It'll be fine. It's a stainless one. It's mid-90s. So yeah, that'd, that'd be all right. And yeah. we'll just bolt this new barrel and do some playing around. Okay. It saves me going out and spending $600 on one just... On a 1022. Yeah. I have one lying here. Perfect, perfect. I think that sort of covers off the ammo side of things. Yeah. Um, okay, optics. For 22. I know it's too late now. Because <coughs> you already bought one. What you bought, um, if you want to be, again, in the open class, hunter Fif- class, you can use a 3x9. 15, use- 15, 16 power, though, is probably yeah. about yeah. it. Yeah, really? that's, that's what I've run. Oh, I've got, a, I've got a 525 or something, but... Um, that's because you always end up with them and you swap them from one gun to the other. So. Yes, yes, and I test things. Um, what you've done, first focal plane is a big advantage, especially once you're stretching it out. Yeah. Um, 
and Mill, I like Mill now. But um, MO is fine. But yeah, um, so the one thing where a lot of real high-end scopes will let you down is the parallax doesn't come down low enough. No. So they'll stop at 20. Yeah. You want something that comes down to 10. Yeah. Because um, there will be a shot at 10 metres. There's ways around it, I find, if you bring a parallax right down and zoom right out. Yeah. Um, you should be able to take that shot reasonably clear. Um, but that's just one thing to check for if you're buying a scope specifically for rimfire, precision rimfire, is that the parallax comes low, because even though the idea is to shoot what would be considered long range of the 22, there will still be things that force you to shoot up close. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's what I noticed, because I just picked up um, Lex the Ken at 5.56, is it? 5.56. And the Opti- Optica 6 scope, so that's a 3 to 18. And one of the features of that is the actual the parallax does drop down to less than twenty. So mm. this, this is a cool scope. I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I certainly it's very hefty. So I'm just deciding why I'm going to put it on, but um, probably yep. the two two four Valkyrie. But, yeah, um, we really need to move forward and do some long yes, range with we that. Do. We do actually need to prove that it is the ultimate new thing. The ultimate New Zealand caliber two two four Valkyrie. Because <laughs> well, once we get an arc, we'll just forget about it, won't we? Anyway, I mean, certainly it, it's a scope that I can. Uh, used to bash something to death if I ever run out of ammo. It's certainly uh, got a lot of heft to it. So, but but that's good. I mean, from what I've read about them, and the glass looking at initially looks pretty damn good. I, I like it. Mm. It's got a a crossover. Everything's going hybrid and crossover these days, Graham, which is a crossover reticle. So it's basically between a hunting and a, and a tactical semi tactical yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So it has a horseshoe in the centre. So when you zoomed. Out to three, or you're into three, you can still see the centre of the target better because otherwise it's ultra minute. Yeah, the, the crosshair. So. Yeah, being being um, first focal plane. Yeah, so, yeah. No, I'm, we shall mount that, and we'll have a discussion about it um, once we've actually put some rounds through a rifle underneath it. So it'd be cool because there's me up to you. I've only ever seen their sort of hunting options in New Zealand. I yeah. wasn't even aware they had tactical options. So no, no. It seems like there's a lot coming in now through sort of five five six and stuff. So, and it seems damn good value for what it is. I mean, it's got every you know. Yeah. Hey, I mean, the more sort of quality options we get in, more competition, the better. Yeah. It means um, cheap stuff for everyone. Um, so, I, I wouldn't have any problem running one. I mean, we've shot a few of those and a fair few. Uh, the Strike Eagle five to twenty five new one. So. Yeah, he got his a lot faster, didn't he? Yeah. He's still, <laughs> He's still waiting on that. Still waiting. Yeah. person who has got them coming in um, we shall remain nameless <laughs> but it's alright um, yeah I'm hopefully speaking of new things uh, Target Dynamics boys will be bringing on a new range finder for me to play with possibly buy if I like it the new Vortex is it Fury? not Fury whatever the newest thousand dollar rod range finder it's a four thousand meter capable one from Vortex oh um, my Leica is up and gone I've got a feeling I've put it in someone else's truck or it's on the farm somewhere so that's that so new rangefinder um, hopefully coming if I like it um, I've never been a fan of overly crowded um, displays on the on rangefinders range I find a lot of them they, they put up too much junk you don't need the Leica was nice it had a single oh. point that you aimed and then the, the distance would come up underneath it and then if you wanted barometric and everything like a little picture in picture with YouTube running in the corner YouTube that'd be alright yeah. Yes, it's just too much for me. And so if I needed the barometric pressure and air temp and um, angle, there's a button I'd push and that would cycle them through. Why do we need a 4,000 range range finder, I don't know. Well, because 
We're going to shoot out to 2K soon, aren't we? Because yeah, when you turn up to an event and you go, my range fighter gets out to about 1,500. Okay. <laughs> well, the trouble with my, my life... This one does 4,000. <laughs> they're going to be like, like 20,000 metres in a few years, aren't they? So where does it stop? But No, you're right. I don't think I have a specific need for 4,000 metres itself, but usually I've found with most range finders, they read roughly half of what they advertise. Go back to the, Google the Trigicon Ventus. It looks like a home cinema projector attached to your face, but... yeah. That's the one with the um, Doppler radar type setup. Oh, the one that reads the wind. So it can read the wind, yeah. How does it read the wind? By sending out light and measuring stuff. Does wind bend light? I don't know. Anyway, I imagine they're pretty smart people. I should have actually done a proper (laughs) in-depth before I decided talking about it. Well, if you buy one, I'll use it. I don't think they have a price on them yet. (laughs) No. that (laughs) eye-wateringly... Anyway... Yeah, but yeah, so, so hopefully new range by the soon. Um, and that's by who? Vortex. Yeah, from oh, Target yeah. Dynamics. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's God, it's been a nightmare naming a rangefinder. You did offer me to borrow one, and I turned you down, and I shouldn't have. Oh yeah. I've been trying to shoot magpies, and I've been doing this and that, and, and testing out my twenty twos, <laughs> and it's oh, I've been pacing out targets. Basic hunter class hunting. Just yeah. oh, yeah, it's probably over there about two hundred meters. Yeah, I've gone full on. Old fud kiwi on it, and just I'll be having to measure things on Google anyway. So that'll it'll be good to start ranging things again. You'll be running out there with a scythe trying to cut their heads off. <laughs> That's the ultimate, isn't it? Elmer Fudd been not allowed a gun, he's allowed a scythe, but had his license taken off him, yeah. Unfortunately, anyway, yeah. um, yeah, so that'll be good. Um, we plan on doing some 2k stuff this summer potentially once yes. we get them all trimmed in. I really need to build a bigger gun, but we'll be trying it with the Creedmoor. Um, Anyway, that's neither here nor there at the moment. Yep. Um, but yeah, 22 shoots tomorrow. Um, right. We'll be leaving the butt crack at well before dawn and um, get over there with plenty of time, get something to eat and then get to the comp, which will be good. All right. Yeah, anything else on our running list? No, that's it. We'll aim to have a guest in the, a few guests in the next few episodes, hopefully. So. Yeah, we'll try and convince them. We'll, we'll, we'll bribe them with a, a night vision pick, aren't they? And then we'll... Uh... Joe Rogan, Joe <laughs> Stump Up, to turn up. <laughs> Yeah, um, no, I think that's good. Unlikely. And we'll do one again in a few weeks, talk about 22 comp. Yeah. And any of the sort of pest control we've been doing or other long range antics. And, um, no, I might, I'll have a good look at the guns that are there actually and do a bit of a list of them and, well, you know, just to talk about some of the ones that are worthwhile. Let's, here we go, it. let's get your 260 out and shoot it. Righto. The carbon light. We'll break out the carbon light. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Now he's committed. Look, he's not going to do it, I can tell. I know. Well. <clears throat> No, well, I think that's it. It's got an ATAC on it, so I better. <laughs> the glass will stop, stop working eventually if I don't use it. It'll rust away. Rust anyway, away. Anyway, I think that wraps it up. Um, right on. We'll uh, catch up with you all next time. See you right. on the other side. Bye.